0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Abayomi Azikoway, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine that's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Abayomi Azikoway. Today is Saturday, uh, September 11, 2021. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to another edition uh, of our program, This program features our regular Pan-African Newswire report that will have dispatches on the suspension of the Republic of Guinea from the regional economic community of West African states, as well as the Continental African Union. Uh, This is due to the military seizure of power earlier in the month. Ethiopia has disputed the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees claims uh, surrounding refugees uh in neighboring Sudan. Zimbabwe war veterans are endorsing the reelection of incumbent President Emerson Mnangagwa. And Angola is reporting an additional 5,000 cases of the COVID-19 uh, in this southern African state. In the second hour, we look back on the 50th anniversary of the Attica Rebellion of 1971, where African-American prisoners led an uprising against the prison industrial complex. Finally, we review uh, some of the major issues in Africa and internationally in depth. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program, Tuned. Right now, we'll take a musical interlude uh, to Benin and West Africa. Let's listen in.
2: Le camarade dougain s'est fait ami au bois et au cordes, au coucou et au fusil. La Guinée, la Côte d'Ivoire, le Ghana, le Niger, le Togo, la haute volta le Nigeria, en général l'Afrique tout entière est son ami. L'ennemi aura toujours de problèmes pour l'attaquer. On ne porte pas une bague chaude à la main, elle criera Vous se Bon, mots de
3: Gana to me bo, me fi wino d'o pe te bo wa to go ye, me nubi wino d'o pe te
4: A volon to in mi jeli a bo,
3: me fi wino d'o kokoro, Amo yobobo no kokoro, kogoro, amo me wano d'o kokoro. Nye lefko bo wa bene e. me fi wino d'o sodabi Sodabi asuka
4: me ni koton,
3: yinon yon rato ukiwi Amo kato kono sawe, amo ati sabo no kono mewe
4: mo so we dey do do we now to go go we dey do o fuito no to e biku jezame aboju e biku jezame abeto e biku jezame no ba e be bato we di O my mes ma si e, O ba n'a peme go pa ise na. pa na do ma kan do mi me wa no no i ken ede na E kokura japeto to na to koroko do kokko me boko me mo don di we jaw to mo don di many here we wanna restart not go for a of fun don't you on
1: Uh, music uh, from Benin West African state of Benin and uh, that was a uh, classic music uh, from uh, various artists between 1969 and uh, 1981 and you're listening to uh, the pan-african journal worldwide radio broadcast and right now we want to move into our pan african news segment And our lead story uh, deals with the situation in the West African state of Guinea. Uh, The African Union has followed in the footsteps of regional bloc of West African states, ECOWAS, and suspended Guinea as punishment uh, for uh, last Sunday's military coup. The African Union Political Affairs, Peace, and Security Department made the announcement via its Twitter handle uh, early Friday morning confirming the Continental Bloc would remove Guinea from official business until it returns to constitutional order. Council, in accordance with relevant uh, AU instruments, decided to suspend the Republic of Guinea from all AU activities and decision-making bodies and calls on the United Nations Security Council to endorse the final ECOWAS communique and has been also endorsed uh, by uh, the PSC, uh, that is the uh, Political and Security Affairs Committee. Uh, the statement also calls on the African Union Commission President Musa Faki to engage uh, with uh, stakeholders in the region with the goal of resolving the Guinean crisis. The African Union's decision comes a day after ECOWAS suspended Guinea after soldiers from an elite unit within the army arrested Alpha Conde and dissolved his government. The coup leaders, uh, led by Lieutenant Colonel Mamadi Doumbouya, accused the deposed president of corruption and nepotism. The junta has promised to set up a government of national unity to preside over a transition to democracy, uh, but has not given a timeline. An Ecowas mediation team, uh, promised uh, by the heads of state of the regional bloc at an emergency summit held on Wednesday, is expected to arrive in Conakry on Friday. The team is expected to pressure the junta to return uh, the country's civilian rule uh, and release detainees, among them the former president. According to Alpha Berry, uh, Burkina Faso's foreign minister, the delegation uh, will include him and foreign ministers from Ghana, Nigeria, and Togo. The outcome uh, of the team's visit will inform ECOWAS's next move on the Guinean situation. Uh, Barry told reporters uh, earlier on Wednesday at the end of the Ecowas Leaders' Summit. Since the beginning of the week, life continues to return to normal in Guinea, where the public has largely held the coup. Condé was serving uh, the first year in his third term as president after controversially changing the country's constitution last year to allow him to stay in power. Hundreds of opposition protesters were killed or detained as part of the protest. At the ECOWAS leaders' Summit, uh, Liberian President George Weir made headlines when he questioned the role that a growing trend of constitutional amendments is playing in increasing military crews in the region. He urged the bloc to look at the issue. And uh, also on Guinea, uh, as we mentioned earlier, authorities and heads of state and government, of regional group uh, Economic Community of West African State has suspended Guinea from all ECOWAS governing bodies with immediate effect of uh, voicing its unreserved opposition to the military junta's overthrow of President Alpha Conde's government uh, last Sunday, September the 5th. The authority took the decision during an extraordinary session convened uh, via video conference on Wednesday, September the 8th, announcing plans to immediately dispatch a high-level ECOWAS mission to Guinea to assess the situation there. The authority will review the situation in light of developments in the Republic of Guinea and the assessment mission report, that's according to the final communique from the extraordinary session. Now, the coup was led by Army, uh, Army Colonel Mamadi Doumbouya. Uh, members of the Guinea Special Forces captured President Conde in a coup on Sunday. Uh, these were over claims of was led to disrespect for democratic principles, for corruption and tampering with the Constitution. Among others, as factors uh, for uh, the uh, coup, the junta carried out the coup uh, while we're serving a third presidential term he won after changing the Constitution months before the elections uh, were held in Guinea. Amidst violence uh, in the country and resistance from citizens opposed to the move but the authority of heads of state and government of ECOWAS reaffirms its unreserved opposition to any political change by unconstitutional means and condemns in the strongest terms this coup. And you can read more in detail about the current political and security situation in Guinea and the West Africa region uh, through uh, logging on to the Pan-African Newswire. In other news, uh, in the Horn of Africa state of Ethiopia, the United Nations Refugee Agency, the UNHCR, On Tuesday, issued a statement regarding Ethiopian refugees involved in the fighting in northern Ethiopia. The reaction came after the Tigray uh, People's Liberation Front, the TPLF fighters, who were captured in the battlefront in northern Ethiopia, were found with United Nations refugee identification cards. The statement uh, from the United Nations body did not openly admit that Ethiopian asylum seekers arrived in Sudan after the Ethiopian government launched what appeared at first a law enforcement operation against the TPLF leaders and their followers who were recognized as refugees under the UNHCR's protection are engaged in fighting in northern Ethiopia. The expression and the statement was rather subtle. It said, while there has been a modest decrease in the number of Ethiopian refugees in the refugee camps in recent months. UNHCR is not able to verify the whereabouts of those who have left, including those who may have returned to their country of origin. Ethiopians, however, rejected the explanation, particularly unacceptable for most Ethiopians, from ongoing conversation on social media platforms, and some of them expressed their views to figures who work with UNHCR is a claim on the part of the refugee agency that it does not know the, quote, whereabouts, unquote, of those Ethiopians registered refugees in Sudan who are said to be, quote, missing, unquote, from a designated refugee camp. Ethiopian activists tend to believe that the UNHCR knows where the missing refugees are and what they have been doing. There have been reports by Ethiopian activists and local media that Sudan has recently been engaged in training and arming TPLF forces they initially arrived in Sudan as refugees they are believed to have been involved in the Akhandra massacre in November of 2020 as reported by Ethiopian authorities the TPLF itself has confirmed that it has over 30,000 fighters in Sudan those who managed to enter Ethiopia from an unknown location in Sudan adjacent to the Ethiopian border in the northwest direction of the country have been involved in fighting on the part of the TPLF forces. In May of 2021, hundreds of TPLF forces who were in Sudan as refugees were captured by the Ethiopian Defense Force as they attempted to enter Ethiopia for armed activity. Many Ethiopians do believe that the UN Refugee Agency knew about it. Shared below are randomly selected reactions of some Ethiopian Twitter users who remarked on the UNHCR statement. And, of course, uh, this article goes on uh, to talk about how the UNHCR's handling of the TPLF forces who fled to Sudan after committing the Maqandra massacre has raised questions among Ethiopians. Refugee status recognition was given at the time when the Ethiopian government disclosed that Maqandra criminals have crossed borders into Sudan. Another striking thing about the TPLF criminals who are accepted as refugees in Sudan a country that invaded Ethiopian territory after the Ethiopian government launched an offensive to reverse the TPLF attack on the defense force, is that they were used primarily uh, as sources uh, for the narrative in major media outlets and human rights organizations in the West. Aid agencies who claimed to have the urge to provide emergency humanitarian assistance in Tigray were also somehow involved in aiding the TPLF forces. Fighters who were captured in the recent fighting in the North Wolo and South Gondar areas were caught with high-energy biscuits that were meant to be distributed to those who needed most in the Tigray region of Ethiopia. The TPLF leaders in the Tigray region were also provided with satellite phones that were supposed to be for aid agency workers' operational use. You're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal. I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. And in the southern African state of Zimbabwe, the Zimbabwe National Liberation War Veterans Association has endorsed uh, President Mbangagwa as ZANU-PF's candidate uh, for the 2023 presidential elections. The war veterans who met in Beatrice on Thursday in the wake of some people who claimed to be disgruntled war veterans said they were solidly behind President Nangagwa who was also the PR first secretary and president. The Zimbabwe War Veterans Association National Political Commissar Joel Murarumba told uh, the Herald newspaper yesterday that the meeting uh, which was attended by war veterans representatives from across the country came up with a number of resolutions one of which was the endorsement of President Mnangagwa as the party's sole candidate there for 2023. We endorsed our President Comrade Mnangagwa as our candidate there for 2023. Our decision was given easy uh, His according to his efforts in developing the country since his election. Ever since he became President, he has done wonders on the development front despite being confronted uh, by Cyclone, Adai, in 2019 which shows his love for his people. Roads are also being repaired while new ones are being constructed using local resources which has never happened in this country. Comrade Mu Rimba uh, said the other resolution uh, was to have an increment on the monthly earnings and, la- and timeless payments of school fees for war veterans' children and the decentralization of funds to meet funeral expenses for war veterans. He said that I have to admit uh, that we were agreed that there is need for a review of our monthly alliances. However, we have to follow the proper channels for us to get that increment. There is need to maintain discipline. Uh, The leader said, Comrade Murarumba uh, challenged some elements within the association who recently claimed they were paid to beat up or intimidate people during election campaigns to provide details of those who sent them. As war veterans, we went to war to liberate people so that they live peacefully in their country. He said, He therefore cannot be seen to be going around beating up the same people. We have never beaten anyone, and anyone who goes around claiming that they were sent to beat up citizens should tell us the ones who sent them and how much they were paid. Carborette Moray-Rumba said, war veterans were disciplined and will remain a PF affiliate. As disciplined cadres, genuine war veterans will not attack the party leadership," said Comrade Murembwa. He called for the speedy vetting vetting of war collaborators. And uh, finally, uh, the situation, of course, in Angola involving uh, COVID-19 is also uh, gaining attention uh, in the international press. Uh, Angola uh, has a 5,000 mark infection rate uh, just uh, earlier uh, during the week a health professional uh at uh, the uh central vaccine depot in luanda the capital uh, are administering AstraZeneca vaccines to uh combat the covid-19 pandemic the number of covid-19 infections in angola near the 50,000 mark even as the country continues to fight to curb the spread of the virus The country's health ministry on Saturday reported 315 new positive cases from tests conducted over the last 24 hours, taking the cumulative caseload to 49,943. In the same period, nine virus-related deaths were recorded, taking the southern African country's death toll to 1,322. The health ministry noted that the number of active cases stood at 4,000, forty five included eighteen patients in critical conditions forty one with severe conditions hundred thirty nine experienced moderate conditions forty five with mild conditions, and three thousand eight hundred and two are asymptomatic. The country has embarked on a mass vaccination drive in efforts to contain the spread of the virus. The country has already administered more than one point seven million doses of the vaccine. With that, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal. And in concluding this segment of our program, we want to remind our listeners that Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998 and has published thousands of articles and dispatches in various newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, all you need to do is uh, go uh, to our website, and uh, that's at uh, News that blogspot.com uh that's pan african news that blogspot.com and uh also uh if you would like to have access uh, to uh today's uh pan african journal uh worldwide uh, radio broadcast uh all you need to do is go uh to our website at the pan african radio network and that's at uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. The programs can be shared uh, via email, blogs and websites, social media networks, etc. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program for this week.
4: You leave your home for days and days. And I know, I said I know You got another woman somewhere around Hey, I'm a good woman I'm a good woman Such a good woman Don't treat me like dirt Out. if I put on a nice dress, baby, you want to start a fight, even my next up neighbor, know it's a shame I'm in, they're all talking, even my so-called friends, now I know what I'm going to do. I'll wait.
1: Welcome back, and that was Barbara Lynn uh, with the tune entitled Good Woman, and uh, this week uh, represents the 50th anniversary of the Attica Rebellion of September of 1971, uh, where African-American inmates led a rebellion uh, in uh, upstate New York at Attica Prison uh, against the horrendous and racist conditions under which uh, they were forced to serve their terms. They put forward demands uh, to uh, the prison authorities in the state of New York. And, of course, they were met uh, by uh, vicious and draconian repression. And this is the story of the heroic uh, Attic Rebellion some 50 years ago. Let's listen in.
5: Hi, I'm Brian DeShazer, director of the Pacifica Radio Archives, and welcome to another edition of From the Vault the Archives weekly program that takes our history out of the vault and onto the radio. This week we listen to the historic Pacifica radio coverage of the bloodiest prison confrontation in American history. September 9, 1971 marked the beginning of the Attica Prison Rebellion. Nearly 1,500 prisoners revolted and held 40 guards hostage while the world awaited the reason for this uprising. Prisoner L.D. Barkley would break the silence on WBAI radio in New York City.
6: The entire incident that has erupted here at Attica is not a result of the dastardly bushwhacking of the two prisoners September 8th of 1971, but of the unmitigated oppression wrought by the racist administrative network of this prison throughout the year. We are men! We are not beasts, and we do not intend to be beaten or driven as such. What has happened here is but the sound before the fury of those who are oppressed. We call upon all the conscientious citizens of America to assist us in putting an end to this situation that threatens the lives of not only us, but of each and every one of you as well.
5: The prisoners had authored a manifesto issuing demands for improvements on inhumane living conditions as well as establishing educational and career training opportunities. Four days of negotiations ended and New York State Police and National Guard troops assaulted the rebel prison block. When the smoke cleared, the death toll was 33 prisoners and 10 of the prison guards held hostage. Pacifica's coverage of these five chilling days brought into focus a world behind bars that the American public created. The origins of the tragedy of Attica can be traced to conditions inside the prison that very few people were aware of, unless they spent time behind Attica's gates or listened to Pacifica's broadcast. Following the September 13th siege of the prison, all alleged rebel leaders were locked down in 24-hour isolation cells. In February of 1972, Attica began allowing the press to speak to the prisoners. Prisoner Donald Noble, who was responsible for saving the life of hostage Michael Smith when the troops stormed the prison, spoke with WBAI producer Bruce Soloway about the living conditions inside the prison before the rebellion started.
7: They say the food is all bad. Like one time a guy called an officer over, told an officer there was a worm in the soup. you know. The officer said, well, don't say nothing because you're lucky. At least you got some meat, you know, and all this type of thing, you know. But oh, these are the conditions that you live here. you know.
8: Uh, how about...
9: Uh- uh,
7: toilet, toilet goes well. You get a roll of toilet paper once a month. You don't, you don't get no toothpaste or toothbrush or anything like that. Now since this disturbance, they started coming around letting you know that if you want some toothpaste, uh, toothbrush, that to turn in the old toothbrush and turn in the old tube toothpaste and you will get them. This, all they this say you start getting after the disturbance. Drop the line you wasn't getting is, and you still get the toilet paper like uh, once a month. But all uh, these are the conditions that you live here. Same thing like in the metal shop where I was working at, uh, the, the Mr. Mills, the head director of industry from Albany, he came here, and uh, everybody ramps him with all kinds of plants, you know, dealing with the shop. They had gas. They had uh, paint masses up there, what wasn't good, because uh, when you use a paint gun, the, the fumes of it get in your system, and the people were showing them that the masses was no good and all this here. and they asked the doctor for some milk so they could kill these heads, uh, fumes, and this was, the doctor refused this hair, so he said that a... Uh, he looked at the mass and seen that there was no good, so he said that he's going to speak to Oswald and try to get some uh, different masses, but uh, he, he's not for it.
5: Donald Noble was also one of the creators and authors of the Attica Manifesto. This document was originally written to Attica Warden Vincent Mancuzzi to encourage prison reform within Attica. When Vincent Mancusi gave no indication that these reforms would ever take place under his term, they sent the list of 28 demands to New York State Corrections Commissioner Russell Oswald, Donald Noble describes this process.
7: Yes, well, I'm one of the men the, uh, the whose names are on a manifesto that was submitted to Oswell. Tell me something about that. Yeah, we, well, we submitted uh, to, uh, a manifesto uh, 28 demands to Oswell in uh, July. And we also submitted one to Rockefeller. We also submitted one to Shirley Chisholm. We also submitted one to R.F.O.E. and different uh, legislative people and lawyers and so forth. You know, We got a beautiful reply back from Oswell on the... I think it was on August, sometime in August, you know, he acknowledged our letter and so forth, you know, and he was uh, enthused about the, the way that the manifesto was thrown up because this was more or less coinciding with his ideas, you know. And he stated that, uh, that uh, uh, he, he's for all these changes that we talked about because he sees that they are needed, you know, but to give him time. And everybody, you know, they went along with him because a lot of us had dealing with Oswald for years, you know, being behind, coming back and forth when he's sitting on the pro board. So then different things, like there the, was things that all he had to do was more or less uh, get in touch with the warden here that would have been went into effect, you know? You know, because it seemed like the way we see it, a lot of us, that uh, when, if he tells Mancusi, like, to, to do this here, Mancusi would say, hell with it, you know? I'm going to do my thing, you know, which wasn't uh, nothing.
5: Perhaps broadcast only on Pacifica Radio in its entirety, prisoner L.D. Barkley reads the manifesto in Attica's central yard. Here it is. Unmediated.
6: To the people of the United States of America, first of all, we want it to be known that in the past we have had some very, very treacherous experiences with the Department of Correction in New York State. They have promised us many things, and they have given us nothing except more of what we already got, brutalization, murder inside this penitentiary. We do not intend to accept or allow ourselves to accept this situation again. Therefore, we have composed this declaration to the people of America to let them know exactly how we feel and what it is that they must do and what we want primarily and not what, we, what someone else wants for us. We're talking about what we want. The entire, and then and again, it seems to be a little misunderstanding about why this incident developed here at Attica. And this declaration here will explain the reason. The entire incident that has erupted here at Attica is not a result of the dastardly bushwhacking of the two prisoners September 8th of 1971, but of the unmitigated oppression wrought by the racist administrative network of this prison throughout the year. We are men. We are not beasts, and we do not intend to be beaten or driven as such. The entire prison populace, that means each and every one of us here, have set forth to change forever the ruthless brutalization and disregard for the lives of the prisoners here and throughout the United States. What has happened here is but the sound before the fury of those who are oppressed. We will not compromise on any terms except those terms that are agreeable to us. We call upon all the conscientious citizens of America to assist us in putting an end to this situation that threatens the lives of not only us, but of each and every one of you as well. We have set forth demands that will bring us closer to the reality of the demise of these prison institutions that serve no useful purpose to the people of America, but to those who would enslave and exploit the people of America. Our demands are such. We want complete amnesty, meaning freedom from all and any physical, mental, and legal reprisals. We want now speedy and safe transportation out of confinement to a non-imperialistic country. We demand that, federal, that the federal government intervene so that we will be under direct federal ju- distribu- j- jurisdiction. We want the governor and the judiciary, namely Constance D. Motley, to guarantee that there will be no reprisals. And we want all facets of the media to articulate this. We urgently demand immediate negotiations through William M. Kunstler, Attorney at Law, 588 Ninth Avenue, New York, New York, Assemblyman Arthur O'Eve Eve of Buffalo, the Prison Solidarity Committee of New York, Minister Khan from the Muslims. We want Huey P. Newton from the Black Panther Party, and we want the chairman of the Young Lord Party. We want Class B. Jones of the Amsterdam News. We want Tom Wicker of the New York Times. We want Richard Roth from the Curry Express. We want the Fortune Society, Dave Anderson of the Urban League of Rochester, Blonde Eva Barnes. We want Jim Engren of the Democratic Lit Chronicle of Detroit, Michigan. We guarantee the safe passage of all people to and from this institution. We invite all the people to come here and witness this degradation so that they can better know how to bring this degradation to an end. This is what we want. also, we want Joe Walker from the Hammond newspapers. Now, And and we want this to be understood. All these people that we've asked for, we love them, and I believe they care something about us. us. And we don't want them him here next year. We want them here now.
5: One of the people the prisoners asked to come and witness the negotiations was New York State Assemblymember Arthur Eve, representing the 143rd District of Buffalo. Eve explains his role in the Attica Rebellion.
10: Well, I got there on Thursday... Uh, When I heard over the wire services that uh, the revolt had taken place, uh, I immediately asked the commissioner to allow me to go in because no one had been in to talk with the inmates uh, since the revolt had started. This was about 2 or 3 o'clock. Professor Herman Schwartz from the UB Law School, who had been working on prison legal matters, was there and said that he would go in also. So we went in as the first set of outsiders who went into yard There the inmates gave me a list of their five set of demands, first five set points, in which one of them were that they wanted certain people to come to Attica to be observers. Uh, and uh, my name was one of them. Uh, the commissioner, no one ever called me, and I understand that they had given this to the state. To About the how patient. long before you came? uh in fact nobody called me i imagine they as soon as the revolt was taken over and they were able to sit down and type out this first set of those demands that it was given to the state within an, a couple of hours or so and i guess i got there maybe uh three or four hours when they gave me that list then uh i came out and talked with the commissioner about getting these people here because yeah. the inmates said they would not negotiate until those people were there The commissioner and the state only attempted to get a few, and uh, Clarence Jones with Amsterdam News was one of those that the governor flew in on a private plane along with uh, several other people. But I found that they were not attempting to get the other people, so I called my office, and they in turn called Kuntzler, the Black Panthers, uh, the Young Lords, uh, Tom Wick of the New York Times, uh, even a guy from a local racist white newspaper in Buffalo that they, one of the, some of the inmates wanted a guy named Charles Roth who had evidently written a fairly fear, you know, story about prisons. Uh, they wanted Minister Farrakhan, the Black Muslims. Uh, uh, they wanted Prison Solidarity Committee. Uh, and it was, in fact, they wanted someone from the Urban League of Rochester, a guy named Dave Anderson and a woman from a poverty program there in Niagara Falls, New York. And I think what it showed was that, you know, the various diverse political philosophies of all of the inmates, but uh, everyone honored everyone else's request, and they were then made a
5: composite list of people, representative of all the people in there to come. Assemblymember Arthur Eve describes how the prisoners would communicate with the state of New York.
10: And because the inmates had told us all along
5: that we could not negotiate for them,
10: we could not make any decisions for them, the observer groups. The best thing we could do was take a message out since the state would not come in and negotiate with them, get a response, and just bring that back. okay We could not make any decisions um and you know we made that very clear every time we went out that the best we could do was take a message back to the state and get the state to respond, and we would bring that back. But all decisions would be made by them because it was their lives. That decisions were being made on. And that's why I don't like people to call us negotiators as such. You know, we were an observer group that the men had invited that whatever was finally negotiated on and agreed to by the state, that we would have been there to ensure that these things would have been implemented, you see, because they'd been lied to at other, you know, at at the Auburn situation, because I was involved after the Auburn. Uh, disorders and uh, where the men had been promised certain things and instead of getting them all they had was reprisals they were put in cells for 90 to 120 days at auburn so the men knew that the credibility of the state and the superintendent was very very bad but when saturday came bobby seals came and uh... Uh, all of us went in with Bobby along with the press. Each time we went in, I want to repeat, the press went in. The press had opportunity to document everything that was said, you know, the interviews with the hostages, everything. But Bobby went in, and we all went in with Bobby, and we were told, uh, you know, to come out when, you know, Bobby left. Uh, Bobby went in, talked with a few of the inmates, sort of the leadership, and got a picture of what was going on. And he said that he had to leave and come back and uh later the next morning, Sunday morning at seven. But he was going to talk to Brother Hugh, Hugh Newton and uh uh talk with the committee back in LA but you know, he couldn't tell him what to do. He wasn't gonna make any recommendation, you know. Co founder of the Black Panther Party, Bobby Seale.
11: Uh really what happened is that I went to Oakland, California Sunday. Mm-hmm. I arrived in Oakland, California, West Coast time at three o'clock. West Coast time at 12 o'clock that same Sunday afternoon. I called a plane back. Mm -hmm. This was the original intended plan in the first place. I went back to confer with the Central Committee of the Black Panther Party. We're not individuals in the party, and uh, it's just one of those things where we have to have some kind of democratic centralized functions. And uh, I reported to them the situation. Uh, I explained to the Central Committee, that uh... some more legal and political support was going to be necessary and that uh... the uh, brothers had explained to me that uh... they wanted me to hurry up and go to Oakland and come on back uh... with any kind of negotiative guidance Mm -hmm. that they could decide on. These were the prisoners Mm -hmm. who told me this the 22 minutes that I was inside the prison Saturday night prior to going to Oakland Sunday Um, I came back, well, wait a minute, let me back up a little bit. While I was there in Oakland, the Central Committee decided it was very necessary that right away I should get on the phone, try to contact William Kunstler inside the prison and see if uh, William Kunstler could get Oswald, the commissioner, on the phone. Mm-hmm. This was done. Uh, Oswald came on the phone, and uh, I had told uh, Oswald what the Central Committee said, that I should tell Oswald. And what I told Oswald was basically that the prisoners had stated to me before I left that Saturday night while I was inside, Mm -hmm. the prisoners had stated to me that they would not kill or release any of the guards, at least until I returned to help out with more negotiated guidance that they could decide on. Mm -hmm. And this is what the prisoners told me. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I told Oswald that. And he says, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm on my way back. I'll be there tomorrow morning. Again, Arthur E. I'd
10: like to get to the Saturday night thing leading into Sunday morning because this is a critical point. Uh, first of all, the inmates allowed and insisted that Officer Quinn, the one who ultimately died that Saturday, they insisted that the state send in a stretcher so that they could get him out of there because they felt that he was had been seriously injured. The inmates insisted that a doctor be allowed to come in and to treat the hostages. The inmates gave the state a list of the hostages that they had because from just observing, evidently the state hadn't even ascertained who the hostages were that they had in. The inmates provided that list and asked for medical records of each of the hostages that they had. And there were a number of hostages from 7 to 11 that were allowed to leave if they had a history of heart condition or asthmatic conditions or anything that might, in fact, staying inside might jeopardize their lives. So I want to make it very clear that the impression given that the inmates did not care about the hostages' lives and did, in fact, uh, not treat them, you know, humane while they were inside, that is not so. In fact, the hostages slept on single and double mattresses while most of the inmates slept on the ground. The hostages were covered during the day by sort of a makeshift tent that they had built uh, in order to protect them from the sun. And the doctor who volunteered, and I must commend this man, it was a white doctor, a surgeon uh, who who answered to the call for volunteer uh, out of that whole area. And he was allowed to go in freely, back and out, without any stopping. In fact, when he went in, the inmates would lead him over to the hostages first, and he would always check them out first, and then he would look at some of the other inmates because there were men in there who had asthmatic condition, heart conditions, and other things. And he said to the press that uh, the the inmates were taking better care of the hostages than they were themselves. at the end the hostages ate more, that they drank more and they had more of everything. And the inmates were doing this. The state was not making that determination. So I want to get that straight from the very beginning.
12: From my people and comrades from Attica State Prison They have informed us. We that are trying to serve our people. That an officer that has been mentioned by the press, which has been using Reddix and trying to destroy what really, really happened, is that the officer died of a heart attack, This officer was sent to the hospital by the prison administration. Later on, two days later, this officer passed away in the hospital. Now, this administration, run by Van Cousy, and now, who is in command, Oswald and his Supreme Commander, Rockefeller, as trying to charge us with murder. This is not so. So uh, we are, myself, and our people in Attica, are trying to tell you That we did not murder
5: this officer. Arthur Eve explains how the state was using the media to publicly demonize the prisoners. It's my understanding that there were only uh, one sandwich per day
10: for the That's right. When the sandwiches were sent in, approximately 1,300 sandwiches, this is what they told us now. Again, I don't know. They said approximately, the state was saying, 13 sandwiches were going in. Uh, The inmates gave the hostages as much as they wanted to eat. If they wanted if they felt two sandwiches were, you know, what they needed. They got two, where the inmates at times had to divide, you know, and take a third of a sandwich or two-thirds or what. They rationed it out so that uh, they then divided among themselves equally what was left after the hostages ate. And I want to make this very clear. Uh, they, you know, took very good care of them. To see the stories after I got out, you know, that have been written, you know, just was you know unbelievable. And I think it points up. You know, the inmates had a television set inside. They had a portable radio, uh, and every time we went in, you know, they let the press come in. They insisted that you know all the major networks and everything else, and they had a pool out front where they would pick x number of guys to go in. And they knew the things that were being recorded. They knew the statements that were being made, you know, and the hostages were saying that they were being treated well and so forth, you know, and how they were being treated even better. And they should, you know, and they were shown the area. You know, the doctor told the news media how the hostages were being treated better and so forth. But then they saw on the TV tubes that this was not what was going out into the world. And they then, you know, knew that the system was again attempting to polarize and to make uh, the outside world look upon them as, you know, animals or beasts or people who were not sensitive to human life. So, you know, all the days that they were in there, they knew that things would go back to the studios, be edited, and only those things that people wanted to use to further polarize this country was the things that were going out. So I want you to know that they were very well aware of the distortions, the, you know, untruths, and the kinds of editing that the major networks of this country and the news media were doing. So on Saturday, uh, you know, in fact, when they said that Quinn was thrown out of a second floor window, you know, and they said this Thursday, you know, when he was, you know, when he came out, they said it Friday, then he died Saturday, I believe, and, you know, the papers repeated it, thrown out of a second floor window.
9: The claim by the
13: administration
11: is that the uh, correction
13: officer who died was thrown from a second-floor window. Say it
14: out loud.
13: Will you answer that for the press, please?
12: Yes. uh, I wish I had some kind of way to show you the bars in front of the windows. So you can understand and see for yourself, see for yourself, how can a man throw himself out a window while the bars are no larger than at least around six inches.
10: Well, if you've ever been in Attica and been at a maximum security penal institution, you know that there's bars on the first, first floor windows. You know, it's humanly impossible. To throw a 200-pound man out of a second-floor window in a prison, you see. But again, you know, the state did not correct these kinds of vicious lies because it was all part of their further polarization, uh, all uh, helping, hopefully, they felt, to give the public, you know, support for them to go in and to do ultimately what they did.
5: Perhaps most powerful... Were the sounds of the public pleas of the corrections officers being held hostage within the walls of Attica.
13: Whatever people they have on the roofs, outside, anybody with a weapon, anybody with anything of a militant manner, leave. Just get him off the rough. How about the request that Governor Rockefeller make an appearance here? I'd suggest you get his ass here now. We're not, I'd like to say this. I think I'm speaking for all of us. We're not scared of any of you people. We know it's not you hurting us, but the people outside, the governor, the people that elected the governor, and all the people in the United States, we're awaiting their decision, and we want to see them meet all your demands. Again, I say I, I really want, and we all want, the people on the roofs to get off. Mike, in making the statement you just made that it's not the people in here who are hurting you, but it's the people outside, have you been coached to make that statement? Any pressure, any promise, anything of any kind? But no. It's, can you say something convincing in that regard? Because it will sound so to many people. Yes, I think I think that the unity, as one, white brothers, black brothers, Puerto Rican brothers, all you people show that you've got yourselves together. The mere fact that we haven't been injured. Yeah, I have a family. Uh, yes, so I have a wife. I have a daughter born May 26, 1971. I wish I could be home with them. We all wish we could be home. By we, I don't mean 38 of us. I mean all of us. All 1,538 of us.
5: When it was evident the state of New York was losing interest in negotiating, attorney William Kunstler made a prediction on the state's next move.
15: Do you think that uh, they will really sacrifice the guards before they will uh, agree know. to the demand yeah. of the prison yeah.
16: prison? yeah, I had hoped the guards would not be expendable, but I think from the reaction yeah. here that they are expendable. Did you say that the guards are expendable? If the, if the governor's remarks mean that he won't come and intervene, then I come to the conclusion the guards' lives are expendable.
15: Do you think that uh, Commissioner Oswald has another alternative?
16: Of course he has no alternative. Time. Just to wait. And prisoners said they would take no action whatsoever if they had more time. And it seemed to me that time, in all justice and humanity, should have been given. Time can make. Th- You know, a lot of shades of difference in negotiation, and time can save lives. And I would think that no stone (laughs) should have been unturned in order to save those lives. They want to kill 39 guards and 1,500 prisoners. That's one thing. If they have any respect for human life, time is a lot easier to buy than life in time, isn't uh, the only way to get out of this really to grant the amnesty that they're asking? Well, but there are shades of amnesty. There are ways to negotiate it. There are lots of things what about, that could be done. Uh, What's the shade of amnesty that might be acceptable to the prisoners? The governor might uh, promise commutation, immediate commutation. He might promise a, a certain limit on punishment. He might promise executive clemency and executive pardon. I mean, there are a dozen different ways which that cat could be skinned. A few moments ago, state police troopers moved into the unsecured areas of the institution
8: to restore order under specific orders to only use force to meet force or to protect the lives, if possible, of the hostages. At the same time, a riot-controlled gas was dispersed at 948 by
15: helicopters in an effort to immobilize persons in the unsecured areas. And the noise that you hear in the backgr- background right now is the riven up of the helicopters. And the time is quarter to 10. And I'm here. And I'm supposed to be reporting this, and I'm supposed to be unemotional. But my people, my brothers in there, are gonna be slaughtered. And it's very difficult to be a professional reporter at this time. Our counselor has been refused admittance and now one is going off one army helicopter is taken off that means that they are now beginning to attack you don't have to be in vietnam vietnam is here now this is it
5: again arthur e all of us said
10: we were getting ready to leave and I was the last one to leave the prison because they provided transportation to the airport for all the legislators. And uh, when I got outside, the newsmen stopped me, and they said, "Uh, Mr. E, what do you have to say? And my response to them was that, I'd never understand to the day I die why the governor did not come and talk to us. I said, we didn't ask him to come and talk to the inmates. We didn't say, come and talk about amnesty. We said, come and talk to us. And then I mentioned, uh, I said, you know, this group included the three white conservative legislators from this area. Emory, Walkley, Senator McGowan, you know, Bobby Garcia, Herman Badilio, myself. say said, Clarence Jones, who just bought the Amsterdam News, you know, for millions, you know. I said, you uh, 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 Tom Wick of the New York Times, I said, plus other people, Senator John Dunn, you know, we all ask him to come and talk to us, to stop a massacre, you know. And I said, I'll never understand why, you know, the man did not come.
5: Early in his career, comedian Richard Pryor was broadcasting that summer on Pacifica radio station KPFA in Berkeley, California. He edited a series of New York State Correction Commissioner Russell Oswald's statements on Attica to create this bit that aired that weekend following Attica in September of 1971.
11: We have some interesting things for you tonight. This is a little thing that Alan Farley and I worked out together. Uh,
5: It's a comedy
11: album. It's not been released yet, but it's going to be a monster. I think it's uh, called The Button Down Mine of uh, Russell Oswald, famous Attica comedian. And uh, I guess we're here
7: now. And now, ladies and
6: gentlemen, the star of our show. That funny man is so Mr. Decision-Maker!
8: Russell Oswald! Let's see if I can review for you, if I can, um, a few of the things that entered into this uh, most agonizing and uh, uh, decision I've probably ever made in my life. <laughs> in any emergency of this time, the state police would lead the way in because it was always assumed that, uh, and I don't know whether it's a proper assumption or not, but it was always assumed that correction officers being embroiled in in a situation such as this might be vindictive (laughs) in going in and the state police who are a tremendously well disciplined uh, and uh, a fine organization uh, would go in coolly. And <laughs> 40 uh, killed, as you know. 40 uh, killed, 40 uh, killed, 40 uh, killed, 40 uh, killed, as you know. Uh, there are uh, maybe another 300, 300. Three hundred three hundred three hundred three hundred three hundred three hundred who have some bruises How did that false report which so I think inflamed the public generally and everybody that Hostages had their throats cut. How did that thing get started? Well, I've you know, I've tried to reconstruct that myself I, I would say now Uh, at the outset that um, our own departments uh, on occasions did not report as well as we might have. (laughs) It was under tremendous tensions, tremendous pressures. Um, People were reporting at all times, no time to verify. Uh, The press was interviewing almost anyone who came out of the institution uh, who looked like an official or an unofficial, uh, visitor there. There was a story put out by a guard that, uh, these throats had been cut. There was a story put out by a police sergeant that these throats had been cut. I believe one of my staff said that the throats had been cut. Someone said I said they had, and so far as I know, no one has been able to prove to me yet that I did. I hope I didn't. <laughs> Someone said I said they had. The
6: leaders never returned, but callously hurted eight hostages within our view with weapons
8: at their throat. Someone said I said they had, and so far as I know, no one has been able to prove to me yet that I did. I hope I didn't.
6: Callously hurted eight hostages within our view with weapons at their
8: throat. Someone said, I said they had.
6: Tell us we have heard it, a toxicus within our view.
8: Someone said, I said they had. And so far as I know, no one has been able to prove to me yet that I did. I hope I didn't.
6: Tell us we have heard it, a toxicus within our view, with weapons at their throat.
8: I believe one of my staff said the throats had been cut. Someone said, I said they had. And so far as I know, no one has been able to prove to me yet that I did. I hope I didn't.
17: Hard to believe, isn't it?
8: I saw a, the, a sniper from the state police who told me that a man was pulling a knife across this inmate's throat. Uh, just as the takeover of the institution was begun. And that as he pulled the knife across the throat, he had about this much of the back of him showing, and he felt he had to get him, and he killed 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 him. And, killed him, and, killed him. <laughs> and that man came into my office thereafter and was shown on TV, as you may know. The one with and the, the throat, p- throat was badly cut. Now, I did see, correctional... Uh, you, you, you met a hostage, you said an inmate. A hostage, I'm job. sorry. <laughs> Several of the hostages had uh, had their blindfolds dropped around their neck, had been shot in the head. Uh, it was all bloody around the blindfolds. This was given to me by the pathologists. Uh, There was a sense of confusion. (laughs) Certainly, um, no deliberate attempt to deceive, because the facts would come out anyhow. (laughs) Uh, One has to be prepared for uh, possible difficulties. i think without question that there are some um, some of these hard core <laughs> who would love to start the thing up again and who will get support and what help they can from people on the outside
14: <laughs> some
8: of the things those prisoners asked for uh, You and I, uh, you would be shocked to think that they weren't getting. For instance, how would you like it if you were told that you could only have a shower 52 times a year? (laughs) How would you like it if you only got a roll of toilet paper every five weeks? How would you like it if you spent 16 hours, or 60% of your time is what I want to say, in a cell? One can't rehabilitate people by keeping them in cells. Hard to believe, isn't it? How, Mr. Oswald, would you handle a situation if there were an addict at Mark? I don't know. 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 I really and truly don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I really and truly don't know. I really and truly don't know. It would be easy... It would be easy. It would be easy, it would be easy. I don't know. I really and truly don't know. It would be easy to say I'd do the same thing again, but I don't know. I I don't know. I really and truly don't know. It would be easy to say I'd do the same thing again, but I don't know. It's never the same situation, you know, there's always, there are always some variables, and uh, I would have to look at it uh, if it came, and uh, God forbid that another one comes anywhere in the country. I, I pity the poor person who has to go through that kind of decision at any time. has indeed
14: been an agonizing decision. I pray to God that this
8: works out for the best interest of all of us. Hard to believe, isn't it? I pray to God.
6: Oh you don't count the dead. When God's on your side.
5: This worked out for the best interest of all
16: of us.
11: Hope you like that.
18: After a week of interviewing inmates, the National Lawyers Guild held a press conference outside the prison wall. The speakers for the Lawyers Guild were Jeffrey Hass and Joshua Roth. Now,
9: many of the general circumstances of the massacre of September 13th have already been made public. At this time, we have sufficient corroborating evidence to substantiate that inmate Frank Hicks was deliberately singled out and killed after he had surrendered and been placed in custody. Our evidence shows that after the yard was secured... Hicks was singled out by name and separated from the other prisoners. An X was placed on his back and he was led into a cell block by prison guards and troopers. He was never seen alive again. His name appears among the reported dead. The only conclusion that we can make is that he was executed. In securing the institution, state troopers and prison guards had been led to believe from statements released by prison officials that several of the hostages had their throats slashed and that at least one hostage had been castrated. These lies further embittered and enraged the guards and troopers who had been waiting for five days at the gates of Attica for orders to go in. Their bitterness and rage was exercised on the inmates in the shootings assassinations and systematic beatings which followed the brutality on september 13th was accompanied by constant references to the statements of prison officials which had and still so poisoned the minds of the guards that they continue to terrorize the prisoners in spite of the results of the three autopsy reports which totally contradict the official statements. Governor Rockefeller and prison officials provoked the police riot which caused the deaths of 41 persons and the shootings and beatings of hundreds more. We hereby call for the indictment of Governor Rockefeller, Commissioner Oswald, Deputy Commissioner Dunbar, Warden and Warden Wancuse and Deputy Warden Vincent for assault, mayhem and murder. We'd also like to make some observation that the persons in Attica risk their lives to expose the conditions here and in other American prisons. That the response of the governor and other officials is not to deal with the conditions and the terribleness of the conditions which was raised, but it is to silence and punish the persons who raised those issues.
6: Rob Rockefeller, I think he is a complete murderer. Nothing else but a murderer. I know i suffered in all these uh, weeks and everything since. I hope this man never
19: has another peaceful night's sleep. Never. Never.
5: Attorney William Kunstler reflects on the lessons learned from Attica from this talk recorded in 1973.
16: The other night at the law school, at UB, there was a symposium in which I and a judge from Detroit Recorder's Court, Justin Rabbits, appeared and there was a police officer by the name of Kirkland. And Mr. Kirkland got up and said, there's one lesson that you better learn fast, that whether a man or a woman as a good job or no job they get equally hungry and that when they are hungry and they have no job they are not going to die without a struggle they're going to seize food very few of us really starved or even hungered virtually every want is in some way met There isn't a gnawing feeling of eternal oppression. There isn't the reaction, day in and day out, of being despised, or at least feeling that you're being despised. There aren't the psychological trauma and the physical trauma of every day's living as a black person, Or a poor white, or a Chicano field hand, or a Puerto Rican in Spanish Harlem, or a Native American, or a woman, and not feeling a great deal of this, and not wanting to feel it, or not being capable of feeling it, leads us into making these nice distinctions. They should have used more peaceful means of expression. And yet, in our secret hearts, we understand that no one, probably in this room or this city or this state or this nation, would have ever given essentially one day's thought to prison conditions had it not been for those 43 deaths that no one would really even feel the first twinge of understanding of what Native Americans go through had it not been for Wounded Knee And the question that's a hard one to answer for everyone is when will people fight, kill, die, go into the valley for what they believe in and what they need? And when will the outside world begin to understand that this drive for survival is so powerful and so irresistible and so much a natural part of human or animal life that people will go to any length to preserve themselves and their brothers and sisters and that to talk philosophically about it or abstractly has no meaning, whether you're talking about Palestinian Arabs or the people of Ulster and the Irish Republic or of people in Vietnam or in any of the former Portuguese colonies or in Rhodesia and the Union of South Africa and so many other places that crop up in the newspapers almost as if they are a regular progression of each other. And not to understand it is to lead to greater tragedy because the counter value is to oppose it with force. The counter value is to destroy it without concerning yourself with its validity, its reasons for being.
5: And we end this program with comments again from New York State Assembly Member Arthur Eve.
10: But I want to say this to the brothers, especially Blacks and Puerto Ricans. You know those inmates said, you know, get yourself some knowledge, get your minds together, you know, know, unite, you know, that we've got to be in every place. Those men understood revolutions. They knew that here they invited me, a man who was somewhat a part of the system as far as a public official, you know. But they knew that everyone, if they have commitment, if they have commitments, This is why education is so important to us because we, if we don't get a good education, if if we go through a genocide, murdering system as they do, I'm sure in the schools in New York as they do in Buffalo, because they're just killing our kids through the Buffalo public school system, uh, you know that they can't even begin to seek knowledge and truth, you see, and this is why uh, it's important that we own radio stations, you know, that we own newspapers, that we own TV stations, so that the truth. You see, not the edited stuff that comes out to us. Get out, you see. But, uh, uh, you know, I made a commitment to the inmates, and they said to us, go out and tell the truth. And they said, tell nothing but the truth. Okay, don't add to it. Don't distract. And that's why, you know, everything I'm telling you, and if I say that, uh, you know, this is something I assume or something, I will say that. But other than that, everything that I've said has been what I saw, what I experienced, and what was told to me by Deputy Commissioner Walter Dunbar. Okay. Now, you know, this has been confirmed by Bobby Garcia and Herman Bediglio as far as what happened after it was all over. Uh, and I think uh, that you know, if I can live just long enough to tell it to as many people, and hopefully that we, even those, even those ten hostages who died, their families realized that they were expendable, that the governor really didn't give a damn about them, and that if the governor's brother or son or daughter or relative had been in there, just one of them, not 38 hostages, I'm sure he would have come to Attica to talk to the observer committee. But they proved that the ruling class, the ones who own the corporations. I'm not talking about the blacks who think they're making 40, 100,000 a year, 200,000 a year, that they're part of the ruling class. You know, they're just, you know, they're just fooling themselves. Okay, they're just fooling themselves. I own a black newspaper, and I'm a state assemblyman, you know, I thought I was an important, you know, that, uh, you know, that the man wouldn't dare, you know. You know, do something like that to me, you know. And, uh, you know, even though I've, I've been saying that he's not sensitive to human life, I didn't realize to what extent, you see. So the message is that all oppressed people, if you work for any kind of living, you're part of the expendable group, you know. And I think this is something that we must realize, that the country is going towards a fascist form of government. New York State was leading the nation, and the transition and that when you take repression coupled with fear that political equation is fascist form of government and uh, we are so close to it that it's unbelievable and that we will only survive by pulling ourselves together utilizing every group and every talent that we have and making this system responsive to human life or else we're all dead we're all dead
5: And that does it for this week's edition of From the Vault, marking the anniversary of the 1971 Attica Prison Rebellion. We'd like to thank TalkingHistory.org for making the raw Pacifica coverage of the event available to the public and for contextualizing the subject that helped shape today's program. Stay tuned for future programs on the 1968 founding of the American Indian Movement, a rare find of poet Charles Bukowski, and more from the 1975 San Diego Folk Music Festival. This series is produced by Brian DeShazer and Mark Torres, an executive produced by the Pacifica Radio Archives and Brian DeShazer. Today's program was written by Mark Torres. We are now streaming and podcasting online at fromthevaultradio.org. For more information or to join us in our efforts to preserve more of the historic collection, visit us at pacificaradioarchives.org or call the archives at 1-800-735-0230. From the Vault is presented as part of the Pacifica Radio Archives Preservation and Access Project, which is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts and grants from the Grammy Foundation, the Ford Foundation, the University of California, Berkeley's Moffat Library, the Pacifica Foundation, and from contributions from Pacifica Station listeners. Our theme music is by Kevin Drum Holiday. I'm Brian DeShazer, and thanks for listening.
1: Welcome back, and that was an audio documentary on uh, the Attica Rebellion of September 1971. Uh, We're commemorating the 50th anniversary of that heroic uh, uprising uh, led by African-American prisoners in uh, 1971, and uh, we'll take a break. We'll be back with our concluding segment. back and uh, that was uh, Detroit's own Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin with the tune entitled Rock Steady and uh, right now we're going to move into our concluding segment. We're going to uh, examine uh, some of the most burning and pressing issues of the day. Uh, Today uh, in the United States is the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks of uh, 2001 and uh, this is a report from CGTN that deals uh, with that question as well as others, uh, let's listen in. This
17: is CGTN, China Global Television Network.
0: The U.S. marks the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks amid growing concerns about international terrorism, pressure builds on military junta in Guinea to restore constitutional order, and we tell you why dogs are becoming more than just a friendly companion in Nigeria. Welcome to Africa Live on CGTN with me, Beatrice Marshall in Nairobi. Also ahead on the program, Tanzania now ratifies the African Continental Free Trade Area Treaty. And we highlight a -a one-of-a-kind tourist attraction that's drawing tourists to South Africa. We begin in Afghanistan, where the Taliban have canceled the inauguration event for the new government. Unconfirmed reports earlier said the group was planning to hold the ceremony on Saturday, the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 terror attacks. Well, let's now cross over to Zemarie Abassin in Kabul for an update on the developments in Afghanistan. Abassin, what more can you tell us about that cancellation of the inauguration ceremony for Afghanistan's interim government?
18: Well, hello. Uh, first of all, there was no formal uh, announcement for the inauguration ceremony in Afghanistan by the Taliban, and they have never said that on the 11th of September they will held the ceremony. At the same time, they say that they are still uh, in consultation because the rest of the cabinet needs more focus on the other hand. The reports that the the Taliban have said that 11th of September is the day for their inauguration is something Taliban deny. On the other hand, also we can include that the Taliban have some issues, according to the sources, intra-Taliban issues, and they've not been reaching to a conclusion in regard to formation of the cabinet, the rest of the member of the cabinet of the Taliban. So this is the recent issues, and the Taliban have been in consultation, and the most important uh, uh, issue is that there is no one inside the cabinet and the structure of the cabinet but the Taliban. Many believe that it's a Taliban cabinet made by Tal- Taliban and for Taliban, but the Taliban emphasized that uh, in regard to a woman uh, role in the cabinet, it, it doesn't mean that. The women could participate, and if uh, there is a woman, she will uh, very uh, fairly represent represent all the women of Afghanistan. So they are still on the consultation, but also the reports of there are some uh, opposition among the Taliban, which they deny. But many experts in Afghanistan believe that there is no other reason but the opposition among the Taliban because. And Sarajuddin Haqqani is now uh, Minister of Interior Affairs, right. while Mullah Yaqub, son of Mullah Mohammad Umar, the late Supreme Leader of Taliban, is Defence Minister. So it seems like there uh, might be some opposition uh, among the Taliban.
0: So uh, how is uh, today's 9-11 attack, so, uh, the anniversary being perceived in Afghanistan after the exit of U.S. forces?
18: Well, people of Afghanistan has been suffering since last uh, four decades, and that's not something new when we we focus the short 20 years of U.S. presence in Afghanistan. And finally, they've been worsted by the Taliban, and the withdrawal is now completed. There is an interim government of the Taliban in the country ruling under Islamic Emirates of Afghanistan, which they believe would be a tech government, and then they will go for the permanent government. but. The people of Afghanistan, if you ask them, they will have different kind of reaction to the 11th of September. Some of them believe that it was a black day, not only for, for the United States, for more than that, it was uh, the black uh, day, and nightmare of, for Afghanistan. All the people killed in uh, New York were around 3,000, but in Afghanistan it reaches more than a million people now. The U.S. invasion and then at its end, all of the people in Afghanistan has been asking that what, is, uh, what was it about? Because the Taliban is again in power and there are more groups. The ISKP is uh, still in some corners of the country, while the economic uh, situation is very much disastrous. And the social life of the people and the fears and phobias among the Afghan people, that's all because of... while there were much more, not only limited to these, the night raids and airstrikes, that lots of people in Afghanistan being killed by the U.S. and NATO forces in Afghanistan. That's why the people of Afghanistan are sparkling anger over the U.S. and their allies in Afghanistan. Some other uh, youth still believe that whether it was a bad day and Afghanistan suffered a lot, but There were opportunities too, millions of people educated, and Afghanistan was far better in reconstruction and road were built and far more progresses, but it was vanished just in around two months and Taliban are back again. That's why they at the end believe that it was a black day for the people of Afghanistan.
0: All right, it's Marile Abassin joining us there from Kabul. Uh, Thank you. Meanwhile, U.S. President Joe Biden is calling for national unity as the country prepares to mark the 20th anniversary of the September 11, 2001 terror attacks. On Saturday, Biden will visit the sites where the planes crashed. Nearly 3,000 people were killed in the attacks. 9-11 served as the justification for the U.S. to launch its so-called global war on terror, which began with its invasion of Afghanistan. The US ended its military occupation last month. CGTS Nathan King looks back on the event.
20: The day after World Trade Center towers collapsed, the United Nations Security Council united in silence. And then action passing unanimously, a sweeping resolution aimed at preventing another 9-11. For the UN, just a few kilometers from ground zero, it was personal too.
17: It's important to remember that this global institution is also anchored in New York City. It is a New York institution. So not only did people from 90 different countries perish in the, in the World Trade Center attack, but we all, uh, many of our colleagues had friends and families who also perished. So we, we were part of this community. However, that unity did
20: not last. Just two months later, in November 2001, U.S. President George W. Bush delivered his first warning to the international community that the U.S. would act unilaterally if it had to, and anywhere in the world. We will defend ourselves and our future against terror
7: and lawless violence.
20: After what seemed at the time like a speedy victory over the Taliban, Washington then set its sights on Iraq and what turned out to be false claims about alleged chemical and nuclear weapons programs.
17: Ambition and hatred are enough to bring Iraq and al-Qaeda together. United Nations
20: weapons experts' findings ran counter to the U.S. narrative and the U.S. failed to convince the Security Council to support the case for war against Iraq. It was a new low in relations between the United Nations and the United States compounded when the UN headquarters in Baghdad was hit by a massive blast and a terrible loss of life in 2003. Then UN Secretary General Kofi Annan went on to describe Washington's war against Iraq as illegal.
18: stated clearly that it was not in conformity with the Security Council, uh, with the UN Charter. It was illegal? Yes, if you wish.
20: Relations have since improved somewhat. But it was a lesson in the limits of multilateralism and international norms when the planet is dominated by a single superpower. We've come through it. I mean, the organization
17: is still standing. But it is a reminder that in all too many cases, uh, member states uh, will often act unilaterally in what they feel is their own, uh, in their own best interest. And the same applies,
20: say U.N. officials, to the problems confronting the world 20 years on from 9-11.
17: Sadly, I think there are a lot of opportunities that were lost for unity. Um, We're living through it now, right? If you look at the response to COVID, it is anything but united. If you look at the response to climate change, it is anything but united. And the Secretary General Antonio Guterres, the U.N., everyone keeps saying we need a united response. But leaders are sadly not responding in the way that they should for the benefit of our humanity.
20: So that's why so much attention will be paid in less than two weeks' time to U.S. President Joe Biden's first speech to the United Nations General Assembly here in New York, 20 years on from the attacks of 9-11, with a tragic loss of life and trillions of dollars spent. The question has to be asked after the U.S. has had humiliating retreats from Afghanistan and Iraq, will it be a more chastened Washington that's ready to confront the shared challenges of humanity going forward? Nathan King, CGTN, New York.
0: In December 2020, the U.S. removed Sudan from its state sponsors of terrorism list. However, the country still faces lawsuits filed by victims of the 9-11 attacks. The Khartoum government was held accountable because it hosted Osama bin Laden between 1991 and 1996. The victims argue that without the support of Sudan, bin Laden would not have been able to mobilize resources or logistics to attack the United States. Naba Moheddin reports from Khartoum. Last December, Sudan welcomed the U.S. administration's decision to remove the country from the U.S. state's sponsors of terrorism list. Shortly after the decision, Lawyers of the September 11 victims' families requested a 4 billion dollar settlement, but the Sudanese Prime Minister Abdullah Hamdok said the government is working with the US to get legal immunity to prevent Khartoum from paying any future compensation related to the terror attacks. The removal has also enabled Sudan to clear some of the arrears owes also the International Monetary Fund. It also plans to settle over 50 billion dollars in foreign debt after decades of isolation. Sudan is keen to roll over its economy and attract more foreign direct investment. The country is also working to rejoin the international banking system. Naba CGTN, Khartoum, Sudan. Well, the war on terror, which 20 years ago was concentrated mostly in the Middle East, has spread. Now Africa, from the Sahel to the north and even east and central Africa, is battling a rise in the number of extremist groups. For a closer look at this, I'm now joined by Colin Robinson, a senior researcher, African Research Institute at Obuda. He joins us via Zoom from Nairobi. Colin, thank you for joining us on the program. Now, Africa has not been spared terrorism. It has been caught up in major terror attacks. What major security loopholes are extremists on the continent utilizing?
21: Uh, the the security loopholes that extremists on the content uh, continent are are utilising are generally the uh, the le- uh, less tight, less precise, less uh, well followed um, loopholes uh, and and security uh, gaps that are unfortunately the 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 issue with uh, less. Um, less organised, less strong states. Um, the the same the the uh, the OECD nations, the, the nations of the West, are in a in a position to um, uh, spend more time, more resources, and importantly, more human capital on uh, putting a tight ring. Around their countries and uh, working through all the the kinds of uh, big and small uh, security gaps, as it were, than um, than uh, lesser well-off countries that have um, really importantly lesser human capital. Um, so, for example, the 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 kinds of the kind it, it can be as simple as. Um, Somebody forgetting to lock a an outer an outer gate on a on a large um, military reservation, for example. If um, somebody observes that that outer gate is potentially used by people walking to work every so often, and is able to uh, slip a um, slip a few people who are who are um, who can infiltrate the the, the base. Um, then then they can pass into the normal pattern of life and eventually uh, be in a position to gain information to carry out an attack. So um, let's if that gate is not locked as it well.
0: so let 's look at a, a bit about the capabilities of African countries because we do know that uh, some African countries have set up anti terror uh, units in a bid to, you know, strengthen their security, their capability. What needs to be done, though, to strengthen security agencies' capabilities in Africa?
21: Uh, I, I would just caution that I'm I'm looking at this from a, a liberal perspective, um, a left winger's perspective, as it were. A right a right potentially uh, somebody who's more enmeshed in the detail who who works through the details to a greater level from a slightly different perspective might give you a long list of um, specific uh, operational details from my perspective however the best thing that Africa could do to um, to uh, increase its security agency's capability is better education why Um, that that's because People who are better educated and people who have um, better human capacity um, don't tend to forget things so much. Um, uh, carefully, carefully work through the, the kinds of long lists of um, procedures and practices um, that uh, go all the way down to making sure the, the security the security agents um, outside, a, outside a major shopping centre, for example, do remember to carry their, their batons. Um, instead of leaving them in the guard box or any, anything like that. And the, the, greater, the greater human capacity Africa has, right. the greater potential it will have um, for both, for both uh, anti-terrorism activities and everything else.
0: So if you look at it, Collins, though, in terms of the approach that uh, many governments have taken, particularly on the continent, it has often tended to be a military approach is a military approach the best option?
21: Uh, no. And this is, this is where um, categorizing uh, these kinds of threats simplistically as terrorism is not potentially the best answer. A lot of the uh, threats that eventually end up as, as, as quote-unquote terrorist attacks um, where where I've been working for, for several years, for example, the Westgate and um, and Dusit uh, D2 bombings in Nairobi, uh, they they stem from unresolved political problems in in a neighbouring country in in, in Somalia. Um, the the uh, attacks on the US embassies in in uh, Nairobi and Dar es Salaam many years ago, they, they stemmed from unresolved political problems in the Middle East a, a lot of um, a lot of it absolutely necessary actually is to try and deal with the the, the unresolved political grievances um, and uh, resolve them in a way that the populations involved for example the the uh, more uh, um, more um, faithful and one might call extreme um, Islamic population in Somalia, the, the Palestinian peoples in the Middle East, um, do feel they're having political solutions to their problems. Because when when people don't feel that they are politically, uh, politi- their, their needs are being served by the, a political process, they they can reach for violent means, and that that often leads to that can lead to terrorism. But if you if you make a, a genuine attempt to solve their political problems, they're less likely to. Do things like set off large bombs.
0: All right, uh, Colin Robinson joining us there via Zoom from Nairobi. I do thank you. The United Nations says the first says by the first half of 2021, Africa has become the region hardest hit by terrorism. In countries like Nigeria, they say huge incursions from militant groups, including Boko Haram and the Islamic State of West African Province, It's what. The UN Refugee Agency reports that more than two million people are internally displaced in the West African country. Our correspondent Phili tells us more from Abuja, the nation's capital.
22: A cross-section of one of the 34 camps in Abuja for internally displaced people. They've been filled by the insurgency-led migration from Nigeria's northeast. The war with Boko Haram has been fought for 12 years. Many of these people have been exposed daily to severe hardship not sure when they'll get their lives back. The
3: work of defeating insurgency and terrorism and of restoring permanent peace to this region is not yet over. We will not rest until all the millions of internally displaced persons are able to return and resettle in their home and rebuild their shattered
22: lives. And that promise has been met with repeated military action against the insurgents. In the past seven years alone, budgetary allocations for tackling insecurity have totaled over $20 billion. By 2015, a faction of Boko Haram had pledged allegiance to ISIS and became bolder in attacking military formations and citizens in the Northeast. This prompted West African leaders in 2019 to jointly pledge $1 billion to intensify the fight against insurgency. But the attacks have persisted.
19: You would expect a continuous change of strategy in the amorphous nature of the subject group in itself. And they resort to using unsuspecting uh attackers, individual attackers, such as teenage girls, the elderly, and even you know, going out of the stereotype on their usual dress sense part of the asymmetrical warfare that was in the Nigerian state. And that is why it was very difficult to combat the Boko Haram insurgency by purely conventional method.
22: Experts say to end the war on insurgency, the government will need to focus more on countering radicalization among Islamic faithfuls to prevent them from being recruited by terrorists.
19: The, the duty of the Nigerian state to mobilize the Muslim community away from this radical ideology that has continued to water the seeds of radicalization among millions of nigerian muslims that are now willing recruits for the insurgency that the Haram group is waging against nigeria
22: the government says that is part of its strategy it established operation safe corridor in 2016 a program that seeks to de-radicalize rehabilitate and reintegrate repentant terrorists And so far, the military says it has graduated more than 1,000 repentant militants from the program. The hope is that the efforts will yield more results in ensuring that every last one of the militants lay down their arms and denounces terrorism in Nigeria. Phil Ihaza, CGTN, Abuja.
0: CGTN marks the 20th anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks with special coverage beginning at 1245 GMT. The impact of 9-11. We'll bring you live the memorial ceremonies in New York City. CGTN studios in Beijing, Washington, Nairobi and London will air an in-depth discussion on terrorism, humanitarian intervention, global security and the legacy of the terror attacks over the past two decades. Join us later here on CGTN at 1245 GMT for our special coverage, the impact of 9-11. You're watching Africa Live, still ahead on the program. Pressure builds on military junta in Guinea to restore constitutional order. And we tell you why dogs are becoming more than just a friendly companion in Nigeria.
17: The East China Sea. Home of Dream Seekers, where China's hub for reform and opening up connects with the Maritime Silk Road. Whether it's exploring the busiest seaport and trade zone, or witnessing how locals strive for a better life, join CGTN's adventure, Times of Change, Part 2, a journey enchanted by a dynamic ocean and beyond.
1: Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, CGTN uh, World News Report, and uh, that's going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Journal, a worldwide radio broadcast uh, for today, uh, Saturday, September the 11th, uh, 2021. We've been broadcasting live uh, from our studios in uh, downtown Detroit. If you'd like to have access to our program, all you have to do is go to the Pan-African Radio Network, and that's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash pan Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash pan African Journal. Programs can be shared uh, with other potential listeners by copying and pasting links and sending those links out to other potential listeners via email. Uh, the links can also be copied and pasted on blogs and websites as well, as uh, the link's being shared through social media networks uh, such as Facebook uh, and Twitter. And um, also you can read the Pan-African Newswire by logging on to our website at uh, panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And uh, you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and uh, burning issues of the day and uh, the pan-african newswire is a 24-hour day uh, seven day a week uh, news service and of course um, we uh, will uh, try to stay updated on uh, all of the uh, major issues taking place uh, throughout uh, the international community and uh, we're going to be closing out uh, with the sound of uh, West Montgomery live at Georgie's Jazz Club uh, in st. Louis during 1961 This is Abayomi Azikaway signing off, and have a beautiful week.
7: Thank you very much, and thank you, Mr. Clean. (laughs) We would like to open this set by playing a nice little tune entitled, All of You. Thank you very much. At this time we would like to play a composition by Milt Jackson, the tune entitled Heart Strain.